It's go time. You're listening live to Third Down Gamble. First Down. Welcome everyone, Don Charbon along with Pat Mooney and Heath Graham. And we're glad to have you along for this ride as we go from a three-game week to a regular four-game week in the Canadian Football League. The three-game week, of course, started Wednesday with Hamilton in Ottawa. And the monsoons, they did come. Pretty much put that game down to a crawl because it was hard for anybody to, uh, I think, accomplish much in the water. And Hamilton wins. David Watford is 2-0 and as a substitute quarterback in Hamilton. Strangest thing that had happened in years for the CFL. We've gone to the two-quarterback system, and suddenly we saw a receiver quarterbacking the final drive for the Red Blacks. We talk a lot about the cold weather having its effect on the games, and sometimes we forget about the wet weather. This rain game was a tough one. There was uh, a real difficulty for the quarterbacks, I think, to grip the ball. And uh, you saw some fluttering passes. You saw some sailing over receivers' heads. And you saw some drops by the receivers because they just couldn't couldn't hang on to it. And it was a, a pretty tough game and really, really difficult to get any kind of momentum going for either offense. Dom Davis got the start for the Red Blacks. Despite the weather, it seemed like he was going to be hanging tough until a big interception to Jamari Roll that went back 87 yards for the Tiger Cats. And in hot pursuit, as any good quarterback would do, unfortunately for Davis, he pulled a hamstring and that ended his participation in the game. On comes Matt Nichols. He takes on a linebacker. He's finished for the night. Brings the uh, Red Blacks down to a receiver to finish the game. Poor Nathan Bahar had a tough go to take a few snaps in that last drive. He did go one for one on uh, pass attempts. So he's a successful CFL quarterback now in that regard and completing a pass. Uh, He had a nice uh, little carry there as well. So he came into a very tough situation. Again, it was fortunate that it was just kind of in the last minute and he kind of kept things together for Ottawa to run out the clock in that one. When you see something like this happen, it, it goes back to the question of, why the CFL has moved back to only two quarterbacks on the roster. Yes, you can dress a third, but certainly not in the quarterback. They're taking a different position. And and I think if we're looking at developing quarterbacks, which we know in the future, we're going to have to see a lot of teams develop quarterbacks due to the age of the current crop of quarterbacks that are out there. Uh, it, it would be great to have the opportunity to carry three. The CFL followed the footsteps of the NFL on this issue. The NFL decided that they only wanted to carry two quarterbacks into a game, and the NFL kind of worked around it, and the CFL also has a workaround where if that other quarterback, the third quarterback, can play another position on the field, typically on special teams, stay rostered. In this case, however, though, Ottawa didn't have that, and so Nate Bahar becomes the emergency quarterback in that situation. David Watford... 2-0 2-0 as a starter with the Tiger Cats, 15-25 for 115 yards. Now, granted, the rain impacted that. He did throw for a touchdown, although that was a very penalty-assisted drive. Overall, Watford only threw in his two games as a starter for 264 yards. That typically isn't great, but when your defense is playing as well as the Tiger Cats, you don't need a heck of a lot from your offense. Watford also ran for 54 yards and Sean Thomas Erlington pitched in with another 41 on the ground. 
On the flip side, if we go through the quarterbacking situation in, in Ottawa, you had Dominic Davis starting the game 6 of 14 for only 50 yards and an interception that we mentioned Jamari Roll took back for a touchdown. Matt Nichols goes 7 of 10, 68 yards, and then Nate Bahar goes 1 of 1 for 3. Between the three quarterbacks in Ottawa, they threw for 121 yards. A lot of people were disappointed in the game. There was a lot of Twitter chatter about the fact that there was no third quarterback, that the game wasn't the greatest. However, given what was there in terms of how wet the field was, how how much rain was pouring down, I don't know what else you could have expected from it. The game is certainly about elements, and uh, in this case, I mean, when you're when you're stuck in a, a downpour, it does impact the game, and we certainly saw that it was not an offensive game, and this is where. We saw Hamilton's defense step up once again. They're a great defense. They stepped up, and I think they really did a good job of shutting down the offense of Ottawa for most of the night. If you look at it purely statistically and take Watford's number versus the three Ottawa quarterbacks, they're almost identical. Watford was 15 for 25 for 115 yards. The Ottawa quarterbacks were 14 for 25 and 121 yards, so... Just looking at it objectively like that, can you say that David Watford had a better game than the Ottawa quarterbacks? He didn't throw a pick six, which Ottawa did. Is it more of a situation where he didn't do anything to lose the game, which allowed Hamilton's defense more so to to control the game? Darren Flutie famously said on a CBC broadcast a long time ago, when a quarterback comes into the game, the team looks to him in one of two ways. You're either going to win with him or are you going to win because of him? In Watford's case, you're winning with him, but I don't think you win because of him. I think that's a very fair assessment. That's is in his two games. Yes, he's 2-0 as a starter. Has he done anything to really show he's a leader offensively on that team? I don't think he has, but he's doing enough right now and minimizing the mistakes, which is allowing the team as a whole to find a way to win. When we talked before about Dominic Davis, Dominic Davis's knock was that he didn't control the ball. And, and the variance here is David Watford has had good uh, ball security during the games he's been playing. And he's done what he's been asked to do, which is, you know, he's not asked to put 300 yards up. He's, he's using his legs at times. He's making the passes that he can to keep drives going at efficient times. He's scoring enough points to allow his defense to, to take over the game and, and close out the other team. So he's done what's being asked of him, and he's managed the game, I think, fairly well. Devontae Dedman was the only scorer for the Red Blacks with a great punt return. Unfortunately for him, he had one bounce off his grill. Now we know that Nichols and Davis are both on the six-game IR after what happened on two, or Wednesday. They have a new quarterback, Caleb Evans, that's going to start against the Elks. It's going to be very interesting to see how this all shakes out in Ottawa, but we'll get to that when we get to their next game. All right, we go to Friday night, and we have a doubleheader. Two games that we thought would be good, they proved to be good. And let's go with the first one, the Montreal Alouettes in Toronto to take on the Argonauts. We figured they'd run out of bulbs on the scoreboard. They almost did. 30-27 to for the Argonauts over the Alouettes. Toronto, a huge win. Again, now they're undefeated at home this season biting at the heels of the Hamilton Tiger Cats once again for first place. McLeod Bethel-Thompson got the emergency start, if you want to call it that, for the uh, Argonauts. And he went 13 of 19 for 210 yards and two touchdowns. 
And I always sort of equate this numbering to this. If you're 10 yards or better per completion, I think you're having a good offensive night as a quarterback. When you look at Bethel Thompson's numbers, 13 into 210, he's roughly about 17 yards per reception. That is a huge gain every time you're completing a pass. He looked quite comfortable out there. And on the other side, you've got Vernon Adams, 30 for 39, but you've got that high risk, high reward Vernon Adams again, two touchdowns, two interceptions. And it was those interceptions that I think allowed Bethel Thompson to only have to throw the ball 19 times to, to put up 30 points. So again, 76, almost 77% completion rate for Vernon Adams. Great. Two interceptions, not so great. The timing of those interceptions proved to be very pivotal. End of the first half, he throws a pick when he's backpedaling. Within a couple of plays, Thompson is throwing the ball down the sideline to Chandler Worthy at the goal line, and they score a touchdown with literally no time on the clock. That flipped the game right there, because up until that point, the teams were pretty much sawed off, and all of a sudden, Toronto just got a big jolt. Absolutely. That was a turning point. Uh, and as you say, the, the timeliness of those interceptions was... Uh, it switched the game right there. We weren't expecting maybe the long bomb. I think most of us thought that we'd probably see Toronto move in for a field goal, but why not take a shot? And and Bethel Thompson's first half, I thought he was really good. His second half, he, he struggled a little bit more. And, uh, you know, they, they put up nine points in the second half, and you saw Anthony Pipkin come in some as well. Alouette's 560 yards of total offense. That's just a staggering number. They're not winning football games. They put up over 400 against BC the week before, didn't score a touchdown. That's 1,000 yards of offense and no wins. That's a lot of real estate. You've got to get more for it. They came close at the end of the game. Jake Wenicke with two big catches, scoring a touchdown, a 27-yarder from Adams near the end. They had to try the short kick. It didn't failed. What if Montreal recovers that onside kick? We're in for a wild finish. Yeah, just looking at some of the receiver numbers for Montreal as well. Jake Wenicke and Eugene Lewis, both over 100 yards receiving, each got a touchdown. And, uh, you know, hats off to McLeod Bethel-Thompson leading that Toronto offense. It'll be interesting to see what they continue to do as Nick Arbuckle regains his health as well, because they've both had some really solid games and they've both had some games where they didn't look so hot. So I think it's a, it might be a true two-quarterback system in Toronto right now as well. Two quarterback system in the sense that they can go to either to start. I don't think you want to be flipping them around during the game. I'm I'm absolutely opposed to that personally. I, I like my starters, let them play. And if you get hurt or something proves that you don't belong there anymore, then and only then do you make a change. It was interesting to see uh, Eric Rogers scratched right before the game and see Damien Jean-Pierre had, he actually led the team with four receptions, 91 yards. And uh, I thought played very well for his first game. Chandler Worley, though, was probably the uh, the surprise in all of this. That big touchdown that he got, Ricky Collins Jr. was very limited. DeVaris Daniels, same thing. The Alouettes made a big change. Uh, they got rid of their uh, defensive line coach, and now Greg Quick is in charge. It tells me that the offense is doing all right. The defense is where the problems are. Yeah, their offense is leading the league statistically in many areas. So I, I think this could be a good change for Montreal. I think this may help them to be able to control the other team's scoring because it, it's great in a shootout. And, and we've, we've seen Adams can certainly sling the ball, but you have to have a defense that's going to stop the other team from scoring. And to date, we haven't seen that. The late game, 
The Saskatchewan Rough Riders are in British Columbia. Last time that these two teams played this season, season series on the line, crazy fourth quarter, and the Saskatchewan Rough Riders wind up on top 31 to 24. The change in the game really started when BC misses a field goal. Saskatchewan runs the ball out. They go down the field. There's an interception. BC gets stopped, and then there's a bad punt that sets Saskatchewan back up on BC side of midfield. And then Fajardo takes the team down with precision passing, gets them down to the one-yard line, and then goes for the quarterback sneak. And whether Cody Fajardo made it into the end zone or not, we'll never know because he just disappears in a pile. And the only official close enough to really get a reasonable view raised his hands. And if he hadn't, the riders would have lost. That's all there was to it. It's one of those things where you need a camera tucked underneath the goalpost or something like that to look down on the line for those types of decisions because there was nothing that the booth could see that was ever going to tell them where Fajardo was and especially did the ball cross the line. Yeah, I think it was very, very close. You can't really tell from the replays how close it was, but I'm going to guess if he did break the plane... It was a matter of inches, and I don't know if he broke all the way across the goal line or just managed to get the ball onto the stripe, which is all that he needed to do because it was a mass of humanity in that pile and the ball somewhere in there. So the referee threw his arms up very quickly. He must have seen enough to be pretty sure that the ball crossed the line. But like you said, if, if he didn't see that, there was no replay, I think, that was going to show the ball crossing the line. It was an excellent finish to watch the game, and not to take anything away from Fajardo, moving the team down, he did it efficiently, they got a score, but truly, BC let that game go with their special teams play. They make the field goal, that game's over. Uh, The punt definitely gave them an opportunity to get within striking range, they didn't have to move quite as far. Saskatchewan pulled out a great win, it's that Fajardo magic once again, but BC can take a look at this and say, hey, we've got things to improve in in our special teams. Stefan Flintoff, the kicker, or the punter, I should say, for the British Columbia Lions, when he dropped that ball and kicked it off the side of his foot, the interesting aspect of that whole play was that the riders were not sending anyone up to block it. Had he just hung on to the ball, he probably could have run for a first down because there was no rough rider near him. They'd all turned to play the return. You can tell that it was just straight up nerves. It was a very important play, and he just muffed it at the wrong time. He did. It's one of those things you've got to grow from. And you look at a player as well that had a big night and then a, a gaff at the end was Lucky Whitehead. Two gaffs in the game. He had he had two touchdowns. He had great plays offensively. And then, unfortunately for him, took one off the off the helmet and allowed Saskatchewan to, to uh, close out the game. Well, on the final play of the game, I'm going to give Whitehead a huge pass because the moment he starts to get tackled, there's no point in him hanging onto the ball anymore. Because the only prayer that BC has is that somebody else picks it up and starts the the whole lateral circus down the field. For sure. So that one, I don't have a problem with at all. The one that he got caught on was he was coming up trying to trap Saskatchewan with a no yards penalty and he just missed timed the ball and it hit him and it bounced off a rough rider out of bounds. It was a wild finish and, you know, those last three minutes of any CFL game that's within two touchdowns you're going to see some amazing things. And it was back and forth and and either team had some chances at the end and Saskatchewan put it together and, and pulled it out. It was the first time in a few games that Michael Riley, 
was held under, under 300 yards. 23 of 34 for 259. Fajardo, by comparison, 24 of 31 for 279. Total offense, which is always an interesting stat for me, the Rough Riders had 343 yards and the Lions 281. Possession, nine minutes in favor of Saskatchewan. Wouldn't it have been interesting if Saskatchewan happened to get stopped on that drive and, and had the chance to kick a field goal? Do you kick a field goal or do you continue to go for the win? You know, if they're far enough away from the end zone, not the one-yard line where you can go on third and one, the difference was four points. And so the field goal would have put them within the four points and given them the season series. That is brilliant thinking, but do you think it would fly? No, not at all. The coach would have been run out of town making that decision. The Saskatchewan fans would not have tolerated that play. Yeah, you got to play for the win first, play for the point differential later. Now, it would have been interesting as well had BC won the first game and Saskatchewan ends up winning the season series on a last play fumbled kick return for a touchdown. Second down. Back to a full slate of four games this week in the Canadian Football League. Trying to make heads or tails as to who's going to win. Good luck. My goodness, I have had a fit trying to figure this season out. You're not the only one when we take a look at all our standings. (laughs) Heath will talk about that later. Okay. Like I said, I I swung for the fences last week. I thought Ottawa was set up perfectly to score the upset against Hamilton. That did not work out well for me. They lost by more than two touchdowns. So it's it's hard to make heads or tails. It's absolutely. And and that's one of the great things about the league, though, is really any given week, anything can happen. We, We know what can happen. You know, home teams do have a way to have a little bit of an advantage, it seems, but Really, you, you never know one week to the next. First game this week is a Tuesday night. The Ottawa Red Blacks host the Edmonton Elks. Edmonton is minus seven going into this game with a over-under of 44.5. Now, depending on the rain, that may be appropriate or not. And of course, just a reminder, these odds are powered by Bet Regal, and we thank them for that. Trevor Harris is back on the roster. We also know that Trevor Harris is not going to be quarterbacking the Elks in Ottawa. Taylor Cornelius will get his second start. Caleb Evans will be the starter for Ottawa. The University of Louisiana Monroe product will get his first chance. He's been with the team. He should be ready. He should know the the offense. This could be an interesting game from the standpoint of taking a look at potential future quarterbacks of the CFL and having an opportunity to see two Fairly raw quarterbacks come into the league and, and uh, you know, play this game. I think it will be interesting to watch for that. And I'm, I'm hopeful that we'll see some good things from both sides. There isn't really a lot out there that's got me thinking to take an over at 44 and a half with these two teams right now. I see them both struggling. And uh, you're right, it, it could be a breakout game for Cornelius or potentially Caleb Evans as well. We don't really know what we're going to see with either of them. So I, I think right now... It's going to be a low-scoring affair, and I would give the edge to to Edmonton. I learned my lesson with Ottawa last week, and I'm going to shy away from them again uh, for for the foreseeable future. Curious stats coming into this game. Red Blacks still winless at home. In fact, the last time they won at home in Ottawa, granted we didn't have a 2020, was in June of 2019. That's a long time ago. So that would have been early in the season in 2019. Exactly. And the team they beat that night? Edmonton? Nope. (laughs) Saskatchewan in a wild, wild shootout. Edmonton undefeated on the road. Ottawa winless at home. Will anything break between these two? 
And what a tough hand for Ottawa to be dealt with Matt Nichols and Dominic Davis now both on the six-game IR and two untested quarterbacks. It's uh, And we've discussed at length, it's not like Nichols or Dominic Davis had really been lighting things up, but they both had several starts under their belts, and in Nichols' case, a lot of CFL starts. So to lose that experience more so than anything has been devastating for them. I have to agree with what Heath is saying in terms of this game. I do think Edmonton should be able to carry this game. I know that they're in Ottawa, but I just feel that they are a better team defensively. And and if you look at the surrounding players, I think Edmonton measures up a bit better than Ottawa. So I think they should be able to cover that spread as well. The biggest thing that is working in Edmonton's favor is they've got James Wilder Jr. running very well for them. And I think for the Elks, that's going to be huge in this game. Given that this is only Cornelius's second start, they're going to depend a little bit more on Wilder this time against this defense. And I don't think Ottawa has a counter in the running game uh, of James Wilder's caliber either. So if it is a, a wet game and you've got a, an untested quarterback coming in for Ottawa, they don't have somebody of Wilder's caliber that's going to give them the chance on the other side of the ball. It would be interesting to see if Ottawa can actually get out and get the lead. They haven't had the lead once in the last five games. So if they could actually get out and get a lead, would that help them to play with a little bit more confidence and enthusiasm? And and maybe Evans can take them down the field for a score. It'll be interesting to see. Other than the uh, game in Edmonton where they led partway through the fourth quarter, so let's say they've led for about five to ten minutes total this season, that would be a novel place to be if you're the Red Blacks. Not impossible, not incapable of doing so, but they've got to prove that they can go out and move the ball. And We seem to see a spark when Dominic Davis was able to get them into the end zone after a few weeks without doing that. So if Evans has that ability to get them in, I wonder if that can potentially light the spark. Let's, let's hope it does. I'm hopeful this will be a great game. Friday, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are in British Columbia. The Lions with a spate of home games now. The Blue Bombers are minus 5 heading into this football game with an over-under 42.5, and that is a nod to the defenses involved in this game. Winnipeg, of course, coming off the bye. Andrew Harris was not a participant at practice for the Blue Bombers. We're recording on Monday. The game is Friday, but what if? Then how how does that change the, uh, the attack for Winnipeg, and how does that change the line? It could change it for sure, but I think Winnipeg has done a really good job of managing practice expectations for some of their guys. We have seen Jackson Jeffcoat and Willie Jefferson listed as questionable throughout the season as well, nursing some injuries, and they always show up on game day. We know they really were cautious at the beginning of the season with getting Andrew Harris into the games. And uh, my best guess is it's a maintenance issue right now and just kind of give him that extra rest. They're protecting these players as much as possible from contact during the week so that they've got some energy at the end of the week. Rasheed Bailey, the receiver for the Blue Bombers, also a non-participant. It was a real test for BC last weekend against Saskatchewan. The Rough Riders did pull off the win, and that was really a battle for second place. So as it stands right now, Saskatchewan's taken control of that second place uh, spot in the West. But if BC pulls off that upset against Winnipeg, now all of a sudden... They're tied with Saskatchewan in the standings. Yes, they've lost the season series, but that would also only put them both one game behind Winnipeg. So if there's ever an opportunity to reel Winnipeg in and get them back within reach, this is it, and it's a must-win for BC in that sense. We could see BC 
put up a win here. If there's anyone who can, BC has shown that their defense is very capable. Uh, a few errors in, in the Saskatchewan game, and particularly on special teams as we spoke to. But I, I think BC actually has, on average, more sacks per game than Winnipeg, which you would not think with that defensive line. Where Winnipeg leads more is in, in the turnovers, and Winnipeg's been very successful. So if BC can control the ball and have ball security, it may give them an opportunity to be in this game. Gary Peters is not going to be available for this game, and it comes down to abuse of a drug official, if there's a better term for that. It's the second time now that we've had a player suspended for a game in the league, A.C. Leonard for the Rough Riders, after getting two games for refusing to take the test, then got an extra game for verbal abuse of the tester. It's something that's got to be wrapped around these players' heads. Is This is part of life now. Don't get so wired about it. It's it's the way it is everywhere in pro sport. I don't know if it was the year off that got everybody in a bad mood, but between abuse of these officials and unnecessary roughness, all these kinds of penalties seem to be really high this year as well. And, and everybody's out there, I think, to prove something. Uh, I know on-field versus off-field are completely different things. And, and I'm happy to see the league cracking down on this abuse of officials and suspending players for it because it sends a message as well. Um, If the league is serious about drug testing, the players need to buy in and and treat these people with respect when they're out there just trying to do their job. I agree 100%. There's never a place for abusing officials, but I do think we have to take a look at the players and the COVID protocols that are putting in. This is a very different season than they've traditionally had. They maybe don't have the opportunity to go out and blow off steam as they may have after games otherwise. So, um, you know, I think we have to to give them a bit of grace. But at the same point, there is absolutely no place for the abusive officials. And I, too, agree that the CFL does need to come down. Hopefully having two suspensions now will serve that purpose and we won't see this again. The, the confinement of this COVID universe in which we live has certainly raised the agitation level of a lot of people, whether it's coaches, officials, or players. I don't know statistically that there are more rough play penalties being called, but we certainly see a lot more extra outside-of-the-whistle activity on the field, and especially at ends of games. We've seen that repeatedly. And it's just this agitation and frustration seemingly coalescing. Now, getting back to the game at hand, a couple of things that I'm really looking forward to this week. If Winnipeg has a weakness on defense. We've kind of determined that it is that defensive secondary. And now they're going up against Lucky Whitehead, who's having an absolute breakout season at receiver for the British Columbia Lions. So that's a a matchup I'm really keen on keeping an eye on. Winnipeg's going to have some players returning potentially from from injuries that are making their season debut in kick returner Janarian Grant. Uh, Charles Nelson has done an okay job. He hasn't fumbled any kicks or anything like that he's he secures the ball but he hasn't been flashy on returns Janarian Grant had three return touchdowns in 2019 so looking forward to seeing what he can do Uh, linebacker Kyrie Wilson may make his season debut as well which will only further solidify that linebacking core with Adam Big Hill and Stephen Richardson defensive tackle got hurt in their first game of the season and might be back as well so it might be a matter of that Winnipeg defense only getting better so given those returns to the lineup, Heath, I'm assuming you're going to be like me in picking Winnipeg to take this game? I am. I mean, if anybody's going to score the upset, it's Michael Riley and, and that BC Lions team. But I am still, I'm giving the edge to Winnipeg right now. And uh, I think it's going to be a defensive battle more so than Riley or Kolaris putting up a 
big string of points. So Don, who do you see taking this game? If Mike Riley goes off the way he did against Montreal, the way he started to against Saskatchewan, and especially if Lucky Whitehead is very motivated against the Blue Bombers because that is his former team, the combination may help the Lions win this game. The one player that I think has really got to get going is Brian Burnham. I haven't seen great numbers from him at all this year. He was very frustrated against the Rough Riders. And we saw it play out, actually, with Michael Riley throwing a ball to Burnham in the corner of the end zone where he had an under route staring him in the face that would have got him 15 to 20 yards easily. You can tell that Brian Burnham is well-respected. They want him to succeed right now without him catching the ball. I think it's a bit of a distraction for the team. Saturday the 2nd, a double dip. First, we go out east. The Montreal Alouettes plus five in Hamilton take on the Tiger Cats. Tiger Cats undefeated with Orlando Steinhauer as coach at home. The Alouettes and the Tiger Cats over under is 47.5. Big things that we have to watch for. Who's going to start a quarterback for Hamilton? And what is the status of Vernon Adams Jr.? and especially as it pertains to those injured ribs? Those are great questions, and I think it, it will definitely make a case of here we have the, the, the strongest offense against one of the strongest defenses again. So this is a case of if Adams cannot go, I think this game becomes much more interesting. We've also seen David Watford. We've talked before about his game management, and he's managed very well. This could be a different game as well. He's going to be asked to do, I think, a bit more to keep up with this offense. So it will be interesting to see how this one comes out. But at the end of the day, I, I do think that Montreal has a good opportunity to take and cover that 5.5. My best guess at a 5.5 point favorite for Hamilton is the odds makers are anticipating Jeremiah Mazzoli starting for Hamilton. I just can't understand how you would have Montreal as a 5.5 point dog to David Watford at this point going head-to-head against Vernon Adams Jr. Couldn't agree more. Mazzoli has got to be starting for the Tiger Cats in this one. Now, remember, Montreal lost to Hamilton on the 27th of August, 27-10. to 10. Braylon Addison is going to be an ad for the Tiger Cats, which is huge because now, finally, they're starting to get some of those receivers that they've been waiting for showing back up on the roster. Addison's a special player, and he makes the offense much more explosive up to this point. The last few games, we've certainly seen them uh, manage the game more than they have had that explosive element to their game. If Addison can get in and show us what he was capable of back in 2019, I think we could see this game open up a bit more than maybe we're anticipating. Getting those weapons back for Hamilton is key. Getting one of their two 1A and 1B quarterbacks back into the lineup is huge. Uh, getting Braylon Addison in, if Brandon Banks gets back into the lineup soon as well and is healthy, this could be a real turning point for the Hamilton Tiger Cats. Um, I don't think that they're quite there yet, so I am going with the Road Warriors and the Montreal Alouettes uh, in this game still. But I think um, it's important to keep an eye on Hamilton because once they get some of those pieces back together, they're going to be dangerous again. Assuming Vernon Adams is playing, I certainly think that that's the safe bet, and I too would take Montreal in this it one. It would be a far different offense if Matthew Schiltz had to take over the reins. He's not the scrambler that Vernon Adams Jr. is. Given what Adams was going through in Toronto and they had that compression shirt on him and trying to keep those ribs 
from expanding and contracting too, too much so the pain would be less. He suffered every time he threw a ball. And if it's bruised ribs, ouch. I've been through that. It's a case, though, of a, a matchup within the East Division that I think is an extremely important one to win. So if anything, I think it's much like a playoff game where Vernon Adams will need to suck it up probably take a shot and, and make the field so that they have a good opportunity. But yes, that's going to be a hard one to come through. The Alouettes, if they lose this one, they'll be three games back of the Tiger Cats with the season series gone to Hamilton. Montreal will then have to lose all designs on finishing first this year, and they'd have to be starting to chase Toronto in the hopes of getting second. It changes your mindset if you don't win in Hamilton this weekend. It's big, big game for both teams. Hamilton, if they win, they break the logjam with their tie with Toronto at this point and they can get some separation and that's what they want to have because they still have the Argos coming to play them again. Yeah. Things remain tight in, in both divisions. Like we said, if the uh, Tiger cats can win and pull away a little bit, they're, they're well on their way. But if Montreal wins, they're right back into this race and it's a a three-way race at this point. And again, with the uh, Winnipeg BC game, BC wins that one, and it has tightened right back up in the West. Late afternoon game is the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in Calgary to take on the Stampeders. The Rough Riders are minus 2.5 heading into this one, and the over-under on this game is 43.5. Big question mark, who's going to be the starting quarterback for the Calgary Stampeders? I imagine in Calgary that has already been decided, but just... For us, do you ever think of going with Jake Mayer? Three games started, 300 yards every time out. Bo Levi Mitchell has not thrown for 300 in a game yet. Calgary is averaging 280, almost 288 yards a game offensively, and that is strongly on the back of Meyer. We have seen Bo Levi Mitchell struggle this year, so I think as a coach it may be an opportunity to rest him and see what happens. The first of three games here... If Meyer is not able to perform in this game, you can always come back with Bo Levi in the next couple of games. It would be very tough for the Calgary coaching staff to bench Bo Levi Mitchell in favor of Jake Mayer. However, statistically, you look at those numbers, Jake has had a lot more success in leading that offense up and down the field than Bo Levi has so far this season. Us armchair coaches can sit here and, and look at it objectively and say, Mayor should definitely get the look, but I just don't see how Coach Dickinson at this point can uh, can pull back Bo Levi in favor of Jake Mayer. Now, a lot has been made about the leg injury, but I want to go back to something that happened two years ago, where against British Columbia, he injured a muscle in his throwing shoulder, was out for six weeks after that, came back in, didn't look right, but played well enough the rest of that season before bowing out in the uh, semifinal to Winnipeg gets off season surgery still doesn't look right when he comes back in 2021 people are pointing to the leg I'm pointing to the shoulder I don't know that that shoulder is completely right yet that's a really interesting point Don and it's one that that certainly is not out there we've been talking about his leg but if that's the case where he's struggling with his shoulder then how many games do you wait to see him struggle through the majority of fans are likely thinking that it still has to do with his legs. So it would be interesting to actually keep an eye on this. And as I, as we mentioned, Jake Mayer has put up 300 yards passing every game and Bo Levi hasn't. So it's not a matter of the offensive weapons around them struggling. They've had the same receivers, the same running back. 
the same offensive line, you know, barring the odd injury here and there. If you look at it again, I might be becoming an analytics guy. If you're looking at it purely statistically, Jake Mayer has led that offense to more success. And you're right. We we are used to seeing Bo Levi Mitchell put up very solid passing numbers that just don't seem to be there this year. And, you know, you you put that up against what's happened in Ottawa with Matt Nichols, also with an injury to his throwing arm from in 2019. For all intents and purposes, it seems like Matt Nichols does not have the arm strength anymore. Now, Bo Levi still shows the capability of, of throwing the ball, but maybe not as accurately as he has in the past. So there could very much be something to the ongoing shoulder and arm injuries of both those quarterbacks. Dave Dickinson, that's his call, but it does make you wonder with a big matchup against the Rough Riders, do you roll the dice? If there's anything that you can trust about Bo Levi Mitchell is that his heart is in the game. He never backs down from any challenge. He is the guy that you can rally around. Jake Mayer, much different in his demeanor on the field. Maybe it's that intangible that you get with Mitchell that you'd rather have. A diminished capacity a little bit in the shoulder, more leadership skills to carry the team. But sitting at two and five, how long can you wait? And that's the question. And it's going to really come down to what happens with BC Winnipeg. All of a sudden, if BC wins that game, you've got three teams at five wins plus, and you're sitting at two. If you have any inkling of making a playoff push you've got to figure that out and start stringing some wins together and it might be time to look at those options Bo Levi is in his 30s he's been around for a little bit he's not over the hill by any means if you want him to continue to be your quarterback for the foreseeable future and you're concerned about his health right now it might be worth running with Jake Mayer is this a case where we'll see Huffnagel start Bo Levi Mitchell based on his past body of work, but maybe be a little quicker to put in Mayer as the backup if things aren't progressing the way that they want to see with Levi Mitchell in there. 83 completions so far this year for Mitchell, 988 yards passing. 84 completions this year for Jake Mayer, 1,019 yards passing. Both have won once and both have lost. This is a huge game against the Rough Riders. The Rough Riders proved now that they can win on the road. But Calgary, as a stadium, has proved to be Death Valley more times than not for the Rough Riders going into this. If Saskatchewan does go in and pull off the upset, and I would deem it an upset, even though the records would indicate otherwise. Calgary's been Death Valley for a lot of teams. (laughs) I think before Winnipeg pulled off the win at the end of last season... I don't know if they'd won since Bud Grant was the coach in Calgary. <laughs> it, it seems to be a, a different Calgary Stampeders team, and they have shown some vulnerability and are not that force to be reckoned with at home that they used to be. If there's a chance for Saskatchewan to kind of break that curse as well, this is the opportunity, and they need to take advantage of it. And I'm going with with the Rough Riders in this one. I think Fajardo leads them in and... and uh, comes out with the win. If Saskatchewan is to have any chance at moving towards first place, they've got to overtake the Bombers and hope somebody takes them out. Saskatchewan's schedule, when you look at it from now to the end, they're playing teams with losing records more than many of the other teams are. So it gives them an opportunity here to 
take the games. And I think Saskatchewan will come very motivated for this game. I do think they'll be able to win and cover the spread quite easily. And I think we'll actually see us go higher than 43.5 in the course of this game. Stampeders coming off the bye. Rough Riders coming off an emotional win in British Columbia. Risk of being flat the following week. At minus 2.5, odds makers are giving the Riders the nod. Sorry, Calgary at home. I cannot walk away from that. And Heath, let's hear about that pool tracker. A little bit of a shuffling of the deck at the top of the standings this week. And CFL America is back out in first place. Dini 13, two points behind in second. And Gromit 1996 has leapt back into the top three at 46 points. Uh, Really tight race here. And, um, you know, it's showing the importance of picking those four-point games to get those correct. Um, and anything can happen, but uh, we're uh, we're in a we're in a tight spot here. The top five are separated by eight points, and uh, you know picking the picking a four for four week can go a long way in closing that gap. Third down on DraftKings this week, it's a little bit quirky. Don't quite understand it. The Tuesday game is a separate entity, and then the Friday and two Saturday games are another entity in Week Nine of the CFL. We're gonna bypass the Edmonton-Ottawa game, and we're going to focus on the three games coming up on the weekend. Pat, quarterback and running back. At this point, I am looking for Cody Bichardo. He's $10,400, and I am going to also take Winnipeg's running back, Andrew Harris, 9000 Heath? The Winnipeg's quarterback, Zach Kolaris, against BC for 7800 For running back, I am picking up William Stanback from the Montreal Alouettes for 9100 Bo Levi-Mitchell, ninety. 600 against the Rough Riders. Saskatchewan's defense is middle of the pack in terms of pass defense. Agreeing with you, 9,100 for William Stanback. That's my running back. Let's move along to receiver, Pat. For receiver this week, I'm going with Kamar Jordan, $7,000. And I'm also taking, it's hard to move away from him, I'm going back to Lucky Whitehead, $8,200. Heath. I have a hard time believing that Lucky Whitehead is... Only 8,200. He seems to be undervalued again week after week. He had 100 and some yards and two touchdowns last week and still no respect. And I think going against his old team, he's got something to prove. So I'm going Lucky Whitehead. And I have also taken Kyron Moore from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for 8,300. I'm going with Lucky Whitehead at 8,200. Jump 2,100 from last week. And I'm also picking Ricardo Lewis from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Looked like he had a breakthrough game against the uh, British Columbia Lions. 3000 is his price tag. Pretty cheap against the uh, Stampeders defense. Let's go to flex, Pat. I'm going back to Winnipeg and picking up Nick Dembski for 5600 It's my first flex, and then I needed to take someone with uh, not as high money, so I'm back to Keenan Schaefer-Baker, and I'm taking him at $3,400. Heath. I have a Winnipeg duo on my flex of Nick Dembski, 5,600, and Drew Wolitarski for 4,900. Well, I'm leaning towards Nick Dembski as well, 5,600. And I'm also looking at Jake Wanneke, 6,100 for the Alouettes. I know they're playing the top-ranked defense in the league, but Wanneke seems to always score touchdowns. Defense, Pat. Going back with the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in the BC game. They are expensive, 5300 but I think it's a good return. Heath? 5300 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Hard to move away from the Blue Bombers. I'm going to take the Stampeders at home. 4400 against the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. 
Final thoughts on week eight or looking forward to week nine. Edmonton Elks, Ottawa Red Blacks game. I just don't know what to expect. Both teams have struggled mightily. I have a hunch that this one might end up being more entertaining than than we're expecting. And uh, I'm going Road Warriors all across the board this week. I think the, the road teams have a chance to, uh, to run the table against the home teams. Like Heath, I'm I'm thinking the road teams are going to be the ones that could run the table. That's certainly who I picked in our in our picks this week. I am really looking forward to seeing uh, outside of the Edmonton Ottawa game, which I like you, Heath. I'm not sure what to expect, but the next three are all divisional games. I think they're crucial games, and it's going to be really fun to watch. It's going to be fun. Four games this week, and wow, week ten. That's going to be a lot of football. Thank you for listening to our show. Third Down Gamble is hosted on Podbean. Follow us on Twitter where our handle is at Third Down Gamble. Join us again next time. The Third Down Gamble podcast. Audio. Worth watching.